0: Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Dinwood.
1: Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 479. We recall this live every Friday at 8:30. AM, Pacific Standard Time. Also got a fantastic guest in the house. We've got Rob Rayling joining us. Uh, um, it should be an exciting discussion. I'm going to let the panel introduce themselves. Rob, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Sure. Thank you so much
2: for the invitation. Um, I am a software developer from years back turned software entrepreneur. I founded uh, an ESP called Drip and I sold to Leadpages. Co-founder of MicroConf, and I run a podcast called Startups for the Rest of Us. That's about it's approaching its 500th episode. So those are the key highlights. Yeah,
1: and you're hiding in your
2: bunker. You're
1: you're um, not going to die of the virus, are you?
2: I am. I hope not. I'm in the, on the north shore of uh, Lake Superior, so I'm excited that the Wi-Fi is holding up. This is a first
1: to be video live streaming from there. Oh, I much appreciate it, and I've got my friend Chris. Chris,
3: would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Chris from Lifter LMS, have a learning management system for WordPress, and I I have a podcast for course creators called LMS Cast.
1: And I've got my friend and joint co-host of my interview show, Adrian. Would you like to introduce yourself?
4: Hi, everyone. My name is Adrian. I'm the CEO and founder of Groundhog. We produce and sell marketing automation plugins for businesses that use WordPress.
1: And I've got my longtime friend and associate, John Locke. John, would you like to introduce yourself?
5: Sure thing. John Locke, doing SEO for
1: manufacturing and industrial firms. And I've got my friend Spencer. Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself?
6: Sure. I'm Spence from LaunchFlows.com. We help people with marketing automation for WordPress.
1: Right. Before we go into the main stories of the week, folks, um, I want to talk about one of our sponsors, and that's LaunchFlows. And what does LaunchFlows do? What does LaunchFlow do, I should say? Well, basically, you need WooCommerce with LaunchFlows, but when you combine those two with a modern page builder, preferably Elementor, you can build some fantastic funnels, not only for e-commerce, i sh- shopping cart funnels, but any type of funnel. And it's really, really easy. Um, loads of people have been frustrated with WooCommerce and but there is lack of ability to really design really beautiful shopping cart experiences, plus the ability to build modern funnel systems. With this combination now, you can do what you want to do or what your clients want to do. So go over to Launch Flows, Look at the product and I suggest that you should buy it. And also they've given us a great coupon code offer for you listeners and viewers. And that's WP Tonic Rocks. I repeat that, WP Tonic Rocks and you get 25%. And the main thing, do remember to tell them that you heard about um, the the offer on the WP Tonic show. On to the first story. Um, five moves that big tech platforms like Google and Instagram should make amid the COVID-19 crisis. Um, what did you think of this one, Chris?
3: I thought it was an awesome move by, that's, this is Rand's article, yeah. yeah this is I, funny. Think, I think what it really illustrates is the um, spirit of the entrepreneur to jump in and solve problems. Um, you know, Google Maps not being accurate, or Google Business Listings not being accurate helping people who are trying to get the word out be able to leverage Instagram in a more effective way. I think I was just overall impressed with the problem-solving ability and the opportunity-spotting ability of a tech entrepreneur. It's just really impressive. And it's this kind of thinking that's going to help us uh, survive and even thrive in, in this, um, these hard times. What did you think of it, Rob?
2: Yeah, you know, I would agree. And I'm a fan and, and friend of, of Rand's. Um, yeah. I think that I struggled a little bit with a couple of the points because they just, they aren't relevant to me. Um, I think the Google Maps one is, is you know, a great suggestion that they need to overhaul the local listings because they're all incorrect. But, you know, his first suggestion is to enable links on Instagram. I'm the old guy and I don't use Instagram. Uh, Gmail should consider greater visibility for high residence promotional emails. I don't have I don't use the three inboxes. I only use a sole inbox. Uh, he talks about the Reddit Secret Santa program which I I hadn't heard of but he explained it and said, you know, that the social network should start doing it and I thought that was a clever uh a clever hack. So, uh overall I love the spirit of the article although I felt like two or three of them I just didn't, you know, didn't uh, quite meet up with my kind of personal usage of the
1: internet. Well, I thought, compared to what a lot of people have been writing about the crisis, it, I agree with Chris. It had a kind of unique um, tone to it, and I thought it was more inventive than what a lot of people. What did you reckon, Adrian? Uh, so um,
4: again, I'm going to agree with with Chris and Rob. Seems fairly, you know, fairly innovative and interesting solutions. The only one I, I mean. Uh, Rob says he doesn't use Instagram. I, I do use Instagram and I know that there's no links or anything. And it's like really, really almost impossible to like link anything unless you have a, the link and bio tool for content creators. Uh, I don't see, I mean, when whenever... Something like that is enabled. Marketers typically just ruin everything, and <laughs> that's that's just one of our traits. Uh, we when whenever we get a new feature to play with, we typically like use it till everybody absolutely hates it, and then we have to move on to the next thing, and it's kind of just like that that process. So I figure I think some of these would like some of these suggestions, if adapted, would eventually be ruined by marketers taking advantage of the situation. Uh, that that's kind of like my only insight because I know that I would. <laughs>
1: And John, what was your fault? Okay, my philosophy
5: is control the things that you can control, and um, the, the the two practical ones on here would be keeping your Google Maps updated, and then if Google sees this somebody, and they give credits to people, add credits to industries that are hardest hit. The problem is, in a lot of these jurisdictions and municipalities, they're saying don't gather in large. Uh, areas. And so anything that is around tourism or sporting events or any big events like hotels, bars, restaurants, they're going to vanish. So my advice is this, if you are a bar owner or a restaurant and you're doing takeout or delivery of any sort, what you can leverage is Google posts. Now it, you go into your Google, my business and there'll be a uh, link on the left-hand side that says posts. Those are up for seven days every time you post one. It's a, and if people are Googling your business to see if you're open still, they will see those posts right there. So if you're delivering or offering takeout at the curbside, that's something that you should do so that you can have some revenue during this time.
1: Oh, that's a great one. Thanks, John. And Spencer, what did you reckon of, of it?
6: You know what I what I take away from Rand's comments is the inspiration for other large corporations to take a let's call it a World War II mentality. And that is to say, if we all see this as a common enemy that we need to unite against, right? To cooperate, I see the opportunity for the large, especially the big six uh, in Silicon Valley, to unite with Giving back in a way that uses all the powers of their infrastructure and their monetary resources and so forth to, without being asked, do stuff that would be helpful. So in other words, we all know that everybody will remember the good deeds that are done today. And even though they don't need the market share and they don't necessarily need the capital, this will pay dividends down the road if they just voluntarily started manning their resources towards doing public good types of things. Uh, That could go across the whole spectrum, but everything from helping first responders or people in the medical industry to distributing, you know, packages and goods, whatever it may be. I think that's where the inspiration from his thing strikes me the most, that like entrepreneurs are thinking of it first. Why aren't those larger companies just stepping forward and all just sort of saying, hey, we're going to do everything we can because if we do this now... We're going to be the ones you remember later as having really
1: participated. They're all flying to New Zealand. That's why, Spencer. Uh, um, on to the next story. Um, before,
4: before we move yeah, on, I just yeah. I just had a question. Uh, I got an email from Loom last week and how Loom was moving forward with extending a lot of their tools free for educational people as well as extending their free trial uh, and the limits available for free trials to like a limited video or something ridiculous while this was all happening. And we're using Zoom right now. And I was curious if anyone knew if Zoom was doing any sort of social responsibility stuff in terms of providing their tools to educators or anything. Because I think that that company is missing from this list because that's arguably one of the most valuable tools, I think, that is currently available for people doing remote
1: work and stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. I think Zoom's doing an amazing job, Touchwood, <laughs> Keeping going, really, it must be pretty hectic at the Zoom headquarters. On to the next story. GitHub requires NPM plans to improve infrastructure and experience. What did you think of this one, Rob?
2: I was going to ask the rest of the panelists. So I haven't written production code in a you know in six seven years since uh, my uh, my lead developer revoked my my credentials. And um, but I, this this seems like a a big win to me. Like, what is the downside of this? Because when I think of like GitHub has been pretty pretty responsible and pretty um, uh, you know they, they do a good job with developers. And I feel like npm being brought under that umbrella is is a, a win. Even if oftentimes we think of um, of these mergers as providing less you know, fewer options, it's, there, there are no other options aside from NPM, right? It's like we're all going to use that if you're going to code in Node. So I don't have an opinion other than to say, what is the, I see. I only see pluses here. What are the downsides?
1: I'm going to ask Adrian then. Maybe Adrian those. What do you reckon?
4: Uh, I'm with Rob. There's, there doesn't appear to be much of a downside to this, uh, except for the fact, you know, some people are just, for reasons being only beknownst to them, are against acquisition, and
1: uh, well, I think the main thing is they're a little bit worried because Microsoft owns it now. Don't they? yeah,
4: but I don't, I don't think there's much. GitHub, at least in in my observate, my very limited observation, has appeared to only get better with time, and they got this whole Actions thing going on now. It's been going on for a while, but say like, the the program just significantly improves every, every single year and every single day, and I can't really imagine. That npm being acquired by a company which is able to provide you know some of the most significant development tools to the entire world could get any worse. I just don't see how that how that can happen.
1: Uh, yeah, I just quickly go back to Rob, but that was one of the reasons why I chose the story. Rob, you know, why do you think in general? Why do you think Microsoft bought GitHub?
2: Well, I mean, I think Microsoft has always been a very developer centric approach, they've always had that because, you know, Bill Gates and even Bill Gates was a developer from way back in the day and the, their, their developer tooling has always been superior to their competitors. Um, when I, I say always this, I'm going to start a religious war here, but, you know, comparing um, Apple's developer tools versus Microsoft's in the eighties and nineties, and even, you know, dare I say, objective C, like it, can you compare that to the, the I mean, this, the C-sharp development model and the ability to build, um, for multiple platforms, it's, their, their tooling has just always been so strong. And I think that GitHub um, is just a kind of a natural extension of that.
1: Right. Anybody else want to comment on this or should I go on to the next story? No, no takers. Let's go on to the next story then. Um, Amazon accidentally sent out the email templates. I thought you would like this one, Adrian. What do you think of this one?
4: I would be lying if I said I've never sent out an email that had some lorem ipsum in it. (laughs) Uh, It's, yeah, I know, it's a really, whenever, when you get that first email in your inbox, because you always send one to yourself just to make sure, right? So when you get it in your inbox and you check and you're reading, it's like, and then you get to, you know, halfway through and there's like a placeholder image or some lorem ipsum, that's like your oh shit moment. Um, But no, it's cute. And you know, it's, it's a pretty good template. I mean, so they got some they got some stuff going on here. I certainly have seen a few people. I've certainly received a few emails from my own customers because I get added as like a contact to the list because I'm on their support or whatever. And I certainly see a few oopsie mistakes from from them as well. But no, it's just it's just good and you know, there's stuff to be
1: learned from seeing other people's templates and yeah. Would you agree with most of what's said in the article?
4: Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the templates rock solid, and yeah, no, I definitely agree uh,
1: with what was said in there, for sure. So, Chris, how, how essential is email marketing in your own company's marketing uh, outreach still in 2020?
3: Uh, it's the backbone. It's essential. But um, the big thing I wanted to point out with this one is I like to learn from big examples and other people's money in split tests. So like in Amazon, for example, I believe this story is true where Jeff Bezos doesn't let anybody change anything above the fold of the homepage without his permission. So that thing has been optimized to the tilt. This is how much of a nerd I am. I study the Amazon homepage a lot. And just as an example, like on my website for my software, we added some reviews. I copied Amazon's review structure exactly because I know they've tested it to the nines. So when something like this gets out, I think we can just learn from, you know, bigger companies and other people's split tests. And I do like how short and sweet it is. And, you know, and just clear call to action. It may, when I see this, I think about, you know, maybe I should start using buttons in my emails. I haven't done that in a while. I use links, you know, like most people, but maybe I should go back to the old school button.
1: Yeah, it's something to consider. What do you reckon, John?
5: Yeah, one thing I noticed about this template is it's very simple. There's just the, the Amazon logo, there's like a, a short little um, image and just a few paragraphs of text. <clears throat> the whole thing is the, they want to make it a short, succinct, impactful email with a clear call to action. And there's a lot to be learned uh, from that, because when people go through their inbox, they want to be able to scan it and understand. Like, what's there? So if you can make the um, offer just easily understandable at a glance, that's perfect.
1: So, Rob, do you think there's any innovation still left in the email marketing sector? You know, we've had some my, some medium-sized startups in the past 18 months that have... I forgot, is it one of them? Was it Super Email or whatever? Superhuman. Superhuman, and there's been... A couple others. So, do you think there's a bit more innovation to
2: come? Yeah, I think there's. I think there's always innovation. And I think what's going to happen is, you know, Superhuman came out and made a big splash, and they are really going after kind of the the high use, um, the executive, the founder, the salesperson who's just in their inbox all the time, and that's on the inbox side. And then Basecamp launched Hey Hey dot com. Yeah, that was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, and they're kind of coming out almost like an it, it, it's it's a counter to that right they're not they don't want to do read tracking they don't want to allow tracking pixels so they're kind of trying to shut down a lot of the marketer tools to get you know the ability to get open rates and such um so i think there is a battle to be fought on the inbox side and then on the certainly on the marketer side of actually sending marketing emails i think there's there's always room for for more personalization for you know knowing more more about your customers and um this is no well, surprise
1: Sorry to interrupt, um, but if there was ever one, ever area that needed artificial intelligence, it was your inbox, wasn't it? Indeed.
2: Yeah, a lot of people have tried it, but, uh, you know, just haven't been able to pull it off. No. What do you reckon,
1: Spencer? Uh,
6: The the biggest takeaway from this I get is the Gary Provost, if I'm saying the accent on it right, Provost, Provost, but as the music and the melody. Uh, what I enjoy about this as a marketer and somebody who tries to teach people something, uh, regardless of whether Amazon uses this, is that the, the way that he shows how to weave the various size sentences together. And it, you know, when you do look at this color it brings it out so clearly that like, today there's a trend in emails to do the marketer style. One line, double space between another line. You know, it's really easy to read But that has a whole different effect than something like this. This is taken literally like hearing a song. And that is more, okay, bite, 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 swallow, bite, bite, swallow. But beyond that, the thing is interesting is, okay, Amazon is just like everybody else, right? They need to use the same tools, the same strategies, the same whatever. Somebody who's using email, I today in the marketing automation world say, Think of this as well. In the old days, email was the place you got people's attention, you built trust, you taught people, you built a relationship. Now it's the exact opposite, in my opinion. With marketing automation, I feel like email is the most crowded channel. So it's just the, hello, we haven't seen you, come back to the home base method of doing things. So having something short, sweet, well-written, that feels like, you know, oh, is probably the best way to get attention over, Oh here's another long form sales letter that's coming so
4: before we move, before we move on I also yeah. wanted to point out something at the bottom of the email template that I don't see I see larger organizations do and I don't see a lot of smaller organizations do and if it is a smaller organization usually people do it in their personal email footer and that's putting in links to resources uh, which I find actually gets a Fair large number of clicks, at least on my end. If someone's not, if someone opens your email, it might be to do as specific CTA, but. If they read past the CTA and don't click, they're going to end up at the footer. And usually the only thing in the footer is unsubscribe, right? And your address maybe a phone number. You should give them other options once they get there as well. So their attention doesn't necessarily go there immediately. But if they don't like whatever the content of your email is whatever, for whatever reason, give them other options to go other places. In the Amazon template here, you got the podcast or the blog, <clears throat> Facebook page, partners, documentation. uh, And I actually, in our footer, I have a lot of that stuff as well. Facebook, documentation, um, partners blog,
1: et cetera, the list goes on. Oh, it's great. That's what gonna be doing this afternoon this And,
4: and that way if they don't if they don't connect with your original CTA, they have they have options to go somewhere else. And and I think more businesses should probably do that because but lots of businesses have lots of great content, but it's not always easy to get there. But you and in footer foot over an email you can just put direct links just to go just to click in there.
1: All right. I, I just want to be, I don't
6: want to interrupt Chris's time but I would say more important than the content of the email is the subject line? I would say today, ninety percent of your battle is getting somebody to click on it when it's in a sea of garbage.
3: Adrian, I had a uh, question for you and for Rob with your experience at Drip. Um, does the number of links affect the open rate? Like, is it is that yes, an issue?
4: it can. It, it there is
3: dependent on so or many deliverability. Areas. I should say, yeah. I, I guess
4: for deliverability. So at least in my experience, I use a, there's a tool called like Mail Tester. And you do get docked points if you have, like, way too many links. However, you get docked points if you have, like, 100 links in your email. And, they're, the, like, ESPs are, like, really, really, really smart. Like, the, like, inboxes are really, really smart. Google, Yahoo. And they can generally tell based on context and the layout of your email how much HTML in it and where the links are placed. If the email is like a legit from a legit sender, a legit company trying to get in touch with a customer, or if it's just straight up spam, oh. and uh, there's various tools on ways to do that, you can you can actually check. Uh, es I've been heard reports of ESPs checking the density of links in an email and where that density is located. Is it in the main body? Is it near the bottom? And and how that works out? The higher the density, the higher the spam score, essentially. But if you put all your stuff down at the bottom, that's that's typically considered low density, low risk. So that's at least been my experience. I'm actually curious because Rob's been doing it a lot longer than I am.
2: Yeah, running running drip as an ESP. I mean, we we sent when I left, we were sending uh, hundreds of millions of emails a month, and or 150 million. You know, just a tremendous amount. So we saw a lot of crazy edge cases, um, and and. Adrian's right the the inbox providers are so smart these days which is a good thing because if if people are opening my emails on my list and I suddenly send them a, a link you know a, a kind of a link fest of hey here are the 10 links I saw this week it doesn't suddenly all go to spam because they they understand that people are engaging with it. So yes, it's it's one of many signals. But you know, if they're looking at fifty signals and, and link count is one of them, then it's like don't go overboard. The bigger tip, and it's one I see, a mistake I see people make a lot, is if if you're using uh, email marketing software and you um are, it's rewriting your links right because it's doing click tracking. So instead of mydomain.com, it actually redirects through you know drip.com and then gets to so if you put in a raw link in your in your email and you actually put http colon slash slash as the text of the of the link they don't like that uh, there are some places some uh, spam filters will immediately say oh there, it's a phishing attack because the text says mydomain.com but it's going to drip.com in root so you always you want real text rather than a real um, uh, an actual domain you know, in the, in the text of the URL. Um, it, it's a crazy, th- it's a weird edge case, but there are, there are several that, um, that you're we'll saying just you, need the, you
6: need the the HTTP to match up with the actual thing you're saying it is. So you can't say SpencerForman.com, but it goes to google.com or something because they'll freak out on that. Exactly.
2: And since most of us use rewritten links anyways, I just, I never put HTTP as text in any email. It always says like "click here" or "here's where you find it," and then that becomes the link.
4: Interesting, oh, wow. interesting point about if you're using Groundhog as self-hosted, since it's self-hosted software, the rewritten links belong to your domain. That's cool. So problem
2: solved. <laughs> nice feature. Yep.
1: <laughs> there you go. We're going to go for a break. We'll be back with some great stories. Got a great special guest, Rob Riley, with us, and um, I think it's been a great show so
0: far. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need Tonic as your trusted white-label developer partner for your next big e-learning or WooCommerce project. Tonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. Tonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WP Tonic's white label services can help your agency today. Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's WP-Tonic, just like the podcast.
1: We're coming back. I think the panel were reasonably interested. I haven't seen any of them dozing off yet. Our, um... Rob's in his bunker. He's he's safe and secure. What more can you ask for? On to the next story, and it's um, from Rob's own um, podcast. Startup, up um, for the rest of us. Um, basically, I thought this interview you did with Kate was fantastic. Um, the main points is: Do you think um, before I put it over to the rest of the panel? Do you think the main? Do you think she was a bit, little bit naive? Or do you think she was just a little bit unlucky with the, some of the key people that she relied on? Because that was the Fred, the key thread of the interview, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, Maren Kate, I mean, it was a tough go. She was <clears throat> she was young. And I, do, I wouldn't say naive. I do think that she was young and she trusted her advisors and she raised funding and trusted their recommendations. And I think when you're growing a business this quickly, she went from zero to 400 employees in, I forget, it was like 18 months or something. It was, it was crazy. You know, I, I don't know that any of us, I don't know that me personally, that I could have kept my thumb on all of the areas that she needed to in order for this not
1: to happen. It's just a shame she didn't Does do you think she had a advisor a bit like you or somebody that had ridden that pony before and she had a couple really trusted mentors It could have gone better?
2: Well, it's, you know, I do. What's interesting, I do and I don't. There are so many moving parts in a company like this. And I think one of the things that uh, obviously that that came back to Biter is purely was the financial piece. And I think when you're building a company like this, a lot of us kind of move the finances. We say, well, it'll take care of itself or I have someone in charge of that and they'll let me know. Well, it turns out the the kind of CFO for hire that she had hired um, was doing math wrong.
1: (laughs) And uh, that's- Well, she did get, um, you know, Jason- um, this week in startups was quite critical, wasn't he? Um, a lot of people were quite critical of the business model. They said it was doomed from the start. I'm not too I'm not so sure about that. What do you think?
2: No, the business it, it, I don't think it was doomed from the start. It's working now. You know, startups.com runs it now and it's a viable a VA business with a subscription is a viable business if your unit economics makes sense and if you have enough cash in the bank to make it to the point of, of profitability. And they were burning cash because they had raised a bunch of money, and, which, which is fine. They raised $5.5 million. And it's okay to burn cash, if you, but you have to thread that needle once you start playing that game. You can't be off by two or three months. Because that, and that's essentially what happened is they had a math error in the numbers and it didn't work. So I, I think this is absolutely a, vi- a viable business. And, it, you know, it is today. I mean, they've reworked it a little bit, but it's still um, very similar to what it was. Would For you, those of us not familiar with the story, can you give us a little bit of a history lesson? Sure. So, uh, so Marin Kate uh, started a company with a co-founder. It's called Zertual. And it, it's essentially you pay a monthly subscription and you get X hours of a virtual assistant's time. So it's virtual assistance for hire on a recurring basis. And she bootstrapped it with her co-founder for two years. And then they raised a couple rounds of funding. They raised $5.5 million of venture over the, a couple years and grew this to 400 you know, uh, virtual assistant contractors. And then at a certain point, got the advice that they needed to turn them into employees. And that was a big turning point because then once they had the financial issue it it really hit him hard. So there were a couple, a couple key, I, I don't know, missteps or or you know real turning points for him. One was going to employees and then the other was this financial error of oops, we we thought we had a lot of runway. And it turns out we have, you know, a couple months less than that. And then a round of funding, she was going to raise a bridge round, had a commitment, and a week or two before that was going to come through, it, the, the investor backed out. And so it was like this series of you know when you're playing when you're playing this close to the wire and you raise this much money and you're growing this quickly any one of those things can just can hammer you it's such such a different world than uh, you know than self funding or bootstrapping
1: and she was really you know the fire I remember it she it, she was brutally attacked wouldn't she Rob.
2: Yeah. It was, it was the internet at its worst. You know, it's, it's when people get out of control and they don't know the full story or they don't want to listen to the full story and they want to just say, oh, wow, how dumb were you to do this? Or how dumb were you advisors? or you're, you know, It's just a kind of a blame game. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that's helpful. Um, but when you hear her talk through it in this, in this podcast episode, or I've heard... you know, I've I watched and looked through several other episodes, um, interviews she's done. There, there's a lot more nuance to it than that, right? Of just saying, oh, this, this one person or this one
1: event is to blame. What did you reckon about it, Chris?
3: I thought it was a great episode. I, I really enjoy Rob's podcast, Startups for the Rest of Us. And what it does really well is there's a lot of hero worship around entrepreneurship, SaaS, online businesses. And this episode, among many others, focuses on the struggle when things don't go well and just uh, provides a cautionary tale for other software founders who are on the journey that, um, you know, Making the leap from contractor to employee may not be the best move. Uh, hiring a fractional CFO after you're above a certain stage is cool, but be careful. And funding isn't always the answer. So I just appreciate that about his show. And I thought this was, I thought it was really cool to actually pull that story out. I'm sure it's really difficult for Marin and Kate. But um, it's helpful for the uh, startup ecosystem to hear uh, when things don't go well. So Spencer, you've
1: you've been here, um, you know. So you've got some real experience. Um, got any advice to the listeners of yours about choosing the right key members of your of your team? Really?
6: Well, I want to say two things. First of all, we talked about this the other day. You were joking, like there's only one vegetable in the vegetable bin. There's lots. I really appreciate Rob's show, and I've listened to it for almost all 400 and something episodes because. Uh, Even before Mike left, it was very definitive. I can walk or ride my bike, and I know I'm getting this high quality format. So it starts, it gets into it, it gets to the point. It's you know, you're like in a good way, super anal retentive about keeping that.
1: And that's very different to my podcast, isn't it?
6: (laughs) This is like somebody threw a paint against the wall. But I appreciate that in the show because. There's another show that I'll throw a comparable, but like Guy Raz at NPR, I was talking about the other week, who has like how I built this, has a similar format. There's storytelling. So you can get the drama from the entrepreneurs. And I see a thread here that on his show and in this particular episode, the drama of a solopreneur, you know, you release this thing into the wild and it spreads like we're experiencing like a virus. It just goes out of control. One little mistake and next thing you know, holy crap, my whole life is... I'm going to slip my wrists in the shower, like she said. So I appreciated the drama of it. As far as the hiring and firing, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those guys who comes from a wide array of experiences in the other sectors outside of tech. But when I dipped my toe into tech, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I was always amazed coming from a Chicago practical background. I dipped in the toe when freemium was a thing. And I had my first experiences in Silicon Valley where... you know, the people were acting like an alternative universe and they would have me do things with their attorneys as an attorney myself that I thought to myself, this is clearly ridiculous. You know, like opening up a hot dog stand and saying, okay, we don't know who's going to buy hot dogs or why they're going to buy hot dogs, but we're going to give away a trillion free hot dogs and see how it goes. And I'm saying in Chicago, if you gave away five hot dogs, the business would be over. So one of the things I see in these things is a Venture capitalist mindset, influencing an otherwise good idea, maybe accelerating it too fast, too far, out of control where the founder herself probably would have been just fine had she not taken so much money and so much bad advice. And as a person who's seen all these worlds, you know, and I'm also probably the older guy here, I would never go into a business anymore unless I thought first. That's the first thing is this where I want to end up? In other words, do I want to end up with a business that has a million people telling me what to do and holding my, you know, cojones in their hands, or I would rather keep it small and like a lifestyle business. And I think that's going to be an interesting thing for a lot of the people today who are being shaken up in our slow snow globe world. When the snow falls back down, they're going to have to think about like, am I going to go listen to some crazy boss or crazy money person, or am I going to run a business where I serve a smaller community, but I control it?
1: Yeah, Rob, I thought that was one of the other really great points of this is that I think, she, I think she expressed because of her background, her blue collar background that she felt, felt a lot of the time as a fraudster, you know, as a um, Imp- imposter, imposter. Yeah. yeah thank, uh, um, but I think you've really got to understand, yeah, listen to people, listen to their opinions, think about things. But in the end, if the, if this show really, you know, if the shit really hits the fan, you're the one You're the one that's going to take all the blame. You're the one that's going to take all the flack. So you've got the right to think about what other people say. But if you want to go your own road, that's what you should do, shouldn't you?
2: Yeah. And that's, that's what I like about what Spencer's saying is, you know, the, the flip side of the story is so many companies, so many software entrepreneurs or tech entrepreneurs think that the only way to start a software company is to raise venture funding. Even today, after I've been banging the opposite drum for, you know, 10 or 11 years, it's not that you should or should not raise venture funding. It's you should make your own decision and know what you're getting into and know what paperwork you're signing and know that the, the buck is going to stop with you and that, that picking... You know, there's a difference between bootstrapping and self funding. There's a difference between taking a small amount of, of angel money and, and building a great lifestyle business out of that. Just because you take funding doesn't mean you can't you know build a great uh, two, three, four million dollar business. But then once you step on the venture train, it really is a different it's a different trajectory. And that is not the the aspiration of of appearing on the, you know TechCrunch or the front page of a, a magazine and it's saying, hey, the, these founders raised ten million dollars. It's like that's not success. That's the starting line. That's the starting line. And now they have the work to start and they're more than likely gonna go out of business. Right. They're they're 98% of them now are gonna go to business because yeah, they have to go billion or go home. So that's that's part of the message, I think, is don't think that it's it's all or nothing and don't think um. We just really know what you're getting into if you're going to take money.
6: Like a, it's like a student loan. It'd be like a kid who starts college. Go, I'm a success. I just borrowed $400,000. Exactly.
2: <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 that's not how it works. Yeah, and this comes for me. You know, I've, I've bootstrapped a bunch of software companies and now uh, I write checks to entrepreneurs. So I, I am on, I've been on both sides and I, I still tell people like, think about what you're doing and know what the terms are and know what you're getting into and know what the expectations are.
1: That's great. On to our next story. Uh, Delicate balance of building an online community business. I thought that Chris would be ideal. What did you think of this one? I thought it was a fantastic post, actually.
3: I thought it was really rich. If you build it, they will not just come. So there's a a lot of wisdom in this article there's i thought
1: that a lot of people building courses or online membership really need to read this article what do you reckon chris
3: a hundred percent like you got a tooth and claw for your first hundred which they talk about your first hundred community members um there's clicks and bricks i call it where you got to get offline you got to do events they've got like swag t-shirts and whatnot um the, the power of the mini mastermind, like once you get over that point of um, you know putting like-minded people together in small groups to solve problems together, that's like a clutch move right there if you can pull that off successfully. I think Rob, you might have done that microconf stuff, and it's like I go to conferences and I hear people talking about microconf, and that's because Rob has done a lot of this work with and his his community members and other leaders behind the event to create a rich experience. It's not... Like, building an online community is not a passive income play. It's one of the most active plays you can do. And um, coming at... It's like um, the old way of doing things is you put your product at the center of the universe. If in this case, it's an online community. But the better way to do it is to actually put your customer at the center of the universe. And Then you surround them with things like courses, mastermind groups, live events. Um, Q and A calls, expert webinars, all this stuff. Just put the customer at the center and then put more of them together. That's a community at the center. And it's not like you're just pushing your membership site. So yeah, this article is a solid read and it just shows um, how challenging it is. And if you want to go big and do it, the real, do the real deal, you got to do a lot of different things. To bring community uh, out there into the world and to do it online, especially, it comes with some unique challenges.
1: So, what do you reckon of this, John? Because I thought, you know, uh, I hear this a lot. You know, you need to build community, but there's not much a plan of action, John. So, I thought this was really quite a good article. Yeah, so I'm
5: familiar <clears throat> with Traffic Think Tank, and uh, I'm familiar with the three people who started it. Um, the, the big thing is, is originally this is, is pitched as an intimate community where you can get access to people who are operating at a high level. That's, that's the original thing. So they limited membership to a hundred people initially to where those people would spread, uh, what they're receiving as a, the, the value from this group. So. This would not work for like every single person that that would start this. The people starting it had to have some credibility at first and people had to believe in those central people that they had stuff to share. I think that they also screened people um, that they were letting into this group at first, then they kind of expanded it out. um, And I think they said that it got to a point where, The value that each person was bringing and the amount of people that were coming into the group kind of hit a point where it was going in the opposite direction. So that's the point where they had to figure out how to um, answer people because everyone was getting used to wanting to talk to the known people like the the stars or whatever and get advice from them, the people that they trust. Um, but I think they said, too, there are some other people in the group that were stepping up and like being like leaders, which is what usually what happens in any type of group, whether it's a Slack channel, Facebook group, uh, mentorship group or, or whatever else. But anything like this, it, even like with a product, as, as Rob and Chris and Adrian all know, it is really a lot about the community. Any type of product. And this group is, even an information sharing group, is a product. And it's, it's all about developing the community and curating the community in a way that it's going to have a good reputation and other people are going to want to join because there's so much value being created.
1: Yeah, Rob, um, would you agree with this? That a trend I'm seeing very definitely, you know, like with HubSpot, the HubSpot University. You go. You go to a lot of SaaS products. Uh, one of their differentials is a lot of them now are offering um, increased access to when you join the SaaS product to get the actual software. You're also joining a community and also access to a lot of training um, to be more effective in the particular sector that you're doing business in. I see that's a trend, definitely. What do you think, Rob?
2: Yeah, it's something that I, you know, Leadpages also did a really good job of that. Um, yeah. They started a whole curriculum that they give away for free and then part of it they charged for. I was surprised, you know, when I, I had my second SaaS app, uh, it was an SEO keyword tool back in 2011 is when I acquired it. And I remember thinking, yeah, I'm going to, it's a keyword tool. People are going to sign up, they're going to get keywords. And more than half of the requests were hey, how do I use these? What should I do with my title tags? How do I build? Le- you know, And I was like, wait, I'm a, I'm a tool, I'm software. And you know, this is almost 10 years ago now, it, it's obvious, but I realized, wow, the education is as valuable or more. And that's why as any tool these days, it's, it's hard to, the, the thing is, is it's, it is hard to build a, a true community that gets along and that is gonna interact with and help with one another it's not so hard to build a lot of educational resources, right? And I think that's your in-between is if, if you're going to launch, uh, whether it's a SaaS app or a WordPress, WordPress plugin or something, having some type of education that goes beyond just using your tool, but that is that high-level stuff that it comes off the top of your head and we think everyone knows it, but, but they don't. And, and taking a day or two out of you know the first six months of, of launching and just creating either screencasts or writing some articles that are truly just strategy, like high-level Um, I think there's a lot of value there. Uh, Because like I said, you can go on and then build a full-fledged community. But as someone who's done it a couple of times, it's a ton of work. And and this article really outlines all the the ways that it, you know, uh, the challenges of it.
1: I'm also interested in in the way they were using Slack um, as a way of building a kind of independent business on this communicate. Do you think there's more opportunities for that as well?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I first saw communities starting to be, being built around Slack maybe five years ago. And I was it just kind of put my hand in my head and said, this is, this is not going to work. Like, sure. it's too synchronous. It's too, you know, there's too much going on. But since then, I've seen communities make this work. There's like a 1500 person design um, Slack that works really well. And uh, we actually just within the past two months, um, fortuitously, we call, launched something called MicroConf Connect. And it's a Slack group. But we had, it has 1,200 applicants. It's a free group. It's for founders, uh, you know, aimed at, at software founders or aspiring founders. And so far, we, the, the key though is A, we had pretty good reach, right? We have, you know, tens of thousands of people on, on email lists. And B, we have a moderator who knows how to manage a group this large. Because that's the big thing is without moderation, it's complete chaos, um, but with a strong moderator and, and realizing, oh, I need a lot of channels. I need, there's just some like basic rules that you need to get in place. It it does work. And the, as much as I would prefer, I'm an old school, I would love for it to be forums. It'd be more async. It's just what everyone has on their phones right now. And asking someone to come and check forums is is, it's just one more barrier to them engaging. And that's why these Facebook groups and Slack groups have started to take over a lot of the community stuff because everyone's in it,
1: you know, all day. Yeah. So, Adrian, I noticed uh, with your own software, you've been building out a lot of educational, been doing a great job with it. So, uh, how's that been? And um, have you learned? And do you think it's going to really, you must feel it's going to really benefit the, the product in the end?
4: There's, there's no question about that. And uh, before I kind of launch into expanding on that, I, there's kind of two ways to sell and build a community. The number one is selling the community for the sake of the community which we see with uh, certain, you know, well, they're like uh, post status, for example, you know, their, their their membership is like, you know, you pay to be part of the community. It's the, the community is the product. And then there's the other way, which I'm more familiar with, which is building a community based on another product that is your core value proposition. And that's what I'm more familiar with. And if, you're, if you find yourself in that situation where you have a product and you're looking like, all right, well, how do I get this community pillar? I, I see that there's three... Pillars of a community, uh, the first of all is education, which is the the educational material to bring people up to speed you can 't expect people who are uneducated in your product or whatever your product is helping them with to engage in your community because they 're going to feel not you know they're going to be intimidated by seeing other people interacting in the community and not want to contribute because they're going to feel like they're not smart enough or they're not they're not going to feel they're going to be intimidated by that so the first pillar is having the educational resources to get them up to speed the second pillar is an actual gathering space whether it's slack or it's facebook and and your product during your onboarding process Every email, every page, everything should be getting them into that community space, the gathering space. If you go through the guided setup of Groundhog, the last page is join us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, get on Twitter, and do all of these things so that you can be informed and you can get the educational resources that you need. The third pillar is FaceTime. Uh, you, the founder, or someone you designate or delegate in your company needs to get on calls or on office hours or do something where you can directly engage with your people so that they can feel the love and ask their questions directly to you and you can provide live answers. And that is what I have found works really, really well for our communities. I do a weekly office hours. I set one hour aside on Tuesdays to get on the community and be like, hey, listen, you know, here's what's going on. Here's the new stuff. Here is an interesting topic that I am going to train you on. You know, last week we did, you know, stuff about, well, how do you create certainty in uncertain times and stuff like that? And before that, it was, all right, here's how you get payments set up on your WordPress website or whatever it is. And that's what I found the three pillars that are working really well for us. Uh, So the first one, education, because you can't expect people to get engaged if they don't know what's going on. Number two is a gathering space, Facebook or Slack. And number three is you got, you got to have the face time. You got, to, you got to be able to communicate directly in person, using your voice with with your with your customers.
1: So Spencer, just to finish up, you know, it's another area where you've got enormous experience because you've built a, a couple of very large community-based kind of groups, haven't you? What, what did you think of the article?
6: Yeah, so there's... I mean, the points are well taken, everybody said, so I appreciate that the, the The matrix that I see happening with these kinds of situations number one is is this a are you building a one to many or a one to one type of group because if you start out with the notion it's a one to many, you ultimately either turn into the i don't want to be it, but I'm the guru of this gigantic following, and all of it's on me, which can have its own problems or benefits or you have the problem that these guys experience, which is if you start out as a sort of one-to-many in a small group and there's maybe 100 people, but it grows, I love that diagram where the user's value falls off the cliff. Because it's just like in life, if you go to a conference, uh, or other, if there's too many people, you're like, F this. It's like, I, get, I don't get anything. I don't know anybody. I can't meet anybody. Everybody's in a corner. The second matrix is, as Adrian was addressing, it's like, what is it you're really doing with this thing? And so what I found is you have to start from the very beginning. Are you teaching people to help themselves? Or are you teaching a bunch of newbies how to suck your nipple and get the milk forever? Because if you're teaching newbies, every single new person you add is going to be like Groundhog Day to you. And I don't mean Groundhog the product. I mean like Bill Murray, like, oh my God, times a thousand, I'm living the same nightmare over and over. And the the group will never progress. It's just the old ones get fed up and leave. And the new ones come in like, oh, I wanted to ask you this question that's so brilliant. Like they invented it. And you've heard it a trillion times. The solution that I found is really simple. If you start out with the notion up front, look, you're all newbies. So here's how it's going to go. I'm going to be the guru but I'm not going to be the accessible guru. I'm going to teach you what you need to know, and I'm going to throw it out there for any of you to consume. Talk amongst yourselves. The second thing is to say there's no value from you guys interacting, but if you want to do it, that's why they got Facebook. And don't try to build the community locally, which was where my expertise was for a while in the social networking sphere, because as soon as you build a private community, no offense, I love the product and we support it, but like Buddy Boss and BB Press and you know, all those tools – You become a camp counsellor, a camp counsellor where you used to have five kids, then it's 100 kids, then it's 1,000 kids, and they're all fighting on the back of the bus. So it is possible to grow a large community, but with the takeaways that you guys all talked about yourself, you have to be very definitive from the get-go. Otherwise, you end up with a Marin K problem, which is you built this thing that's so successful you want to kill yourself in the shower.
1: All right. That's great. Got any last words on this subject, Rob, or shall we... um wrap this show up. I would just say that don't
2: feel like, you know, some people will come and say in order to launch a software product of any kind, you should have a community first. And I don't I don't believe yeah. that. You can do you can have a community, you cannot have a community, you can have an audience, you cannot have an audience. It's just different ways of going about it. So,
1: uh, wise words. Well, we're going to go wrap up the show Um, I'm going to drop the last story because I thought that was the weakest so um, we're going to go on to our recommendations of the week and I have got a recommendation I know shock listeners and viewers Um, I've got a nice slider oh yeah I know sliders Um, I don't particularly like them but I've got a client that insisted and there was some logic to the madness so I was looking for something a bit better for Allimator than the pre-built one and I found one and really really nice free one from BD Themes and it's their prime slider and the free one is really quite amazing and I I've been knocking this out for this client and I've been quite impressed. Spencer, have you got a recommendation for the listeners and viewers?
6: Uh, Yes, I do. So one of the problems that we've been facing today, that we have two panelists here who are experts on at least, is uh, because we do all the marketing automation that's across 35 plus different platforms, we're seeing people with varying degrees of success with their API calls and their webhooks back. So you do automation on WordPress with WP Fusion, sends a signal, and then crickets, whereas yesterday it was like speedy. Or worse, you have, let's say, a webinar with a WooCommerce checkout, you're trying to apply tags and... Magically, nothing happens fast enough. So, there's a plugin that's free, Query Monitor for WordPress, which allows one, hey Vita, which allows one to see the kinds of things that are going on in your site and help to differentiate is this an internal problem or is this an external APA problem? In the last couple of weeks, for example, one of the things we do recommend, there's lots of good CRMs, one of them, which will go nameless, which is still great, has been shitting its pants for no reason they're telling anybody i mean it went from like hero to what's going on and so as a result of that this tool is really useful even for a layperson to use because you can see what's going on on any particular transaction and so it's worth even a newbie checking out
1: oh make sure it's in the chat will you uh um so john have you got a um something you want to recommend Yeah, this is a recommendation
5: and this is not for a product or a link or anything like that. I know right now, like a lot of people are staying home, you know, in your local municipality or your state or your county, they're telling you to stay home. Uh, And so a lot of people are doing delivery. Um, One thing to keep in mind is a lot of these people who are doing the gig worker jobs, especially if it's like DoorDash, Instacart or anything like that, or Uber, They really don't earn that much money because the platform takes a lot of it uh, from them. And if it's like Instacart, they're the ones standing in line in these long lines doing the shopping for you. So my tip to you is if you have the means, which most of us do here, we're in digital marketing, please tip uh, these people uh, more than you normally would tip them excellently. uh, Because, Right now, their um, finances depend on it. And also, like, your, your orders and stuff are going to stay in queue a long time if they don't think it's worth uh, their time. So, you know, just be considerate of other people and, uh, you know, give give freely. So
1: That's great. And um, Adrian, have you got anything you want to recommend?
4: I'll, I'll second Spencer's recommendation. Uh, Query Monitor is a lifesaver for anybody building WordPress websites for like you know their MVP or whatever. Uh, it has saved me countless hours. Uh, there's a lot of HTTP API stuff that goes on in Groundhog, a lot of DB stuff, and uh, Query Monitor has helped us find and fix a lot of it over over the last year and a half. So I'll second that one.
3: Grace, have you got anything you want to recommend to the listeners of yours? Yeah, I wanted to recommend the uh, Notability app. So if you're uh, like communicating visually with your students or coaching or your team, if you have an iPad Pro and an iPad Pencil deal, uh, it's a super cool tool for communicating uh, visually with your team. So check that out.
1: I'll put that in into our chat. And I've got Vito. Vito's with us. You, you got here a bit late, Vito. We're wrapping it up. Well, I thought I was on time because I
5: think that the timing's changed or something, but this is where I always come on board,
1: 4.30. No, I think it's daytime. Welcome uh, to uh, Daylight Savings, uh, Savings boy. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we move it in America because, so, you know, in Britain, listeners and viewers, they have daytime, but they move it three weeks later. It always confuses people from the UK. Yeah, yeah.
5: so, so, so I guess that would be my recommendation, uh, check uh, some...
1: Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> check your daytime time, <laughs> time zones. Yeah, <laughs> right. um, Rob, uh, obviously being your special guest, you're not expected to have anything that you can recommend. But do you have anything you want to recommend to listeners and viewers?
2: The only th- I just came up with it. I didn't know there was a thing. But <clears throat> if you're if you're stuck at home and you have kids go noodle.com or go noodle on youtube it is just very light exercise for kids and they place and i mean i even have i have two nine-year-olds and a 13-year-old and while they mock it because it's a little young for them they still move around they get their bodies going so and it's free you know on youtube so that's something we've been trying to do get our body moving, exactly
1: it? exactly yep. there we go uh rob it's been a pleasure having you on the show so um, if people want to learn more about you and um, what you're up to, Rob, what's the best way?
2: Sure. If, you know, if they're podcast listeners, startups for the rest of us, is in all the, all the podcatchers, uh, if they want
1: to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Rob Walling. Right. And Chris, um, people want to find out more about Lift LMS, what's the best way and find out more about what you're up to.
3: You can install the free Lifter LMS plugin to your WordPress website. You can also find us on lifterlms.com and check out our podcast called LMS cast.
1: It's a great podcast. And um, so um, John, what's the best way of finding out more about you and what you're up to? Two
5: ways. The, the, the way that you can see me like every day is on my YouTube channel. Uh, If you, Go to YouTube and search either Lockdown SEO or John Locke SEO. I'm posting every single day uh, SEO tips. I think I've missed like two days in the last, like, I don't know, like 16 months. Um, But the other way is go to my website, which is LockdownSEO.com.
1: Oh, that's great. And Spencer, what's the best way of uh, finding out more about you and what you're up to?
6: Uh, right. If you're interested in anything to do with sales funnels with WooCommerce or marketing automation, you can find me at launchflows.com or the free Facebook group is useful for you. Any questions across the spectrum of these WordPress things, that's facebook.com slash groups slash launchflows.
1: Right. And Adrian, what's the best way to find out more about you and what you're up to? You can go to Groundhog with 2Gs.io d- uh, and you can
4: get all of the links to our three pillars of education Uh, or community rather, education gathering space and uh, FaceTime where you can speak with me and ask me questions about
1: digital marketing. And I even asked Vito. Vito, what's the best way to find it? It's a a
5: good deal. Like uh, three minutes in uh, and I already have a pitch. Uh, So you can find find me at wpfeedback.co. We actually just now launched something uh, to help people in these kind of uh, trying times. So uh, come. there's 200 slots for people that will get 90% off for the next two months. Uh, And we did it for all of our pro users as well, just to kind of alleviate some of the stress uh, in the upcoming months.
1: Right, That's great. And if you want to support the show, folks, the best way is go to the WP Tonic website and join our newsletter. We've had a load of new people joining the newsletter recently, and I wanted to increase it. Um, You'll get a a newsletter about e-learning and also all the latest news Mm -hmm. and recommendations. Can I find one more, Jonathan? Yeah, go on.
5: Okay, so this is something I forgot about too. Adobe is giving, they're letting people take like two months off of their subscription. They'll give you a credit. Um, I'll put it in chat, but there is a number that you call and then you hit one... One and then two and then you get on the line with somebody. Just tell them because of the COVID nineteen, you want to take a couple months off your subscription. or will credit all your like uh, Creative Cloud.
1: I'm, I'm mind blown that, that Adobe will do, do anything like that. There we go. Uh, um, on to um, so back to the newsletter. So join the newsletter and also you'll be put in to a um, to win a prize, a monthly prize. Anybody that subscribes during the month will join um, the prize draw and they can win a prize up to a value of $100 or more and I'll be announcing the winner next week for that. It's been a great show thanks panel and I think we've had a great discussion. We'll see you next week listeners and viewers.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to the Tonic podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.